Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've always been intrigued by the unexplained, so when I heard about a series of strange sightings on a property just outside Estacada, Oregon, I knew I had to investigate. My name is Rip Little, and I'm a journalist specializing in stories about the unknown, and I'm a mysterious. I got in touch with Stuart, a professional fish and game guide who was familiar with the area, to see if he could help me uncover the truth behind these strange occurrences. Stewart agreed to meet with me and share his story. 
He had been looking for a house to buy about five, six miles out of Estacada on Porter Road. While visiting a potential property, the owners had casually mentioned that an unknown creature had been seen around the area about five times. Naturally, my curiosity was piqued. As we sat down over coffee, Stewart recounted the stories he had heard from the property owners. They described a tall bipedal creature with dark fur, walking upright like a human, but clearly not one. They said it had a distinctive, pungent odor and emitted unsettling sounds that seemed to reverberate through the forest. Stewart, being an experienced outdoorsman, was initially skeptical of the tales. He had spent countless hours in the wilderness and had never encountered anything remotely like the creature they described. However, he couldn't dismiss the sincerity in their voices, so he decided to look into the matter further. Over the following weeks, Stewart delved into local archives and spoke with longtime residents of the area. He discovered that reports of the creature went back decades, and many people in the community had their own stories to share. Some had seen it from afar, while others had experienced frighteningly close encounters. Despite the varying details, one thing remained consistent. The overwhelming sense of fear and unease that accompanied each sighting. As I listened to Stewart's account, I couldn't help but feel a shiver run down my spine. There was something about these stories that struck a chord deep within me, and I knew I had to see the location for myself. Together, Stuart and I ventured out to the property on Porter Road. We explored the surrounding woods, searching for any signs of the elusive creature. Though we didn't catch a glimpse of it that day, the heavy silence and eerie atmosphere of the forest left us both feeling uneasy. The stories of the unknown creature haunted my thoughts, and I couldn't help but wonder if it was truly out there lurking in the shadows. As I continue to investigate, I can't help but be drawn deeper into the mystery. What could be behind these sightings? Is there a rational explanation? Or is there something truly otherworldly at work? I may not have the answers yet, but I'm determined to keep searching until I uncover the truth. In the heart of the Appalachian Trails, I embarked on a solo hiking trip seeking solitude and connection with nature. The sun began its descent, casting long shadows through the dense forest. As I ventured deeper into the wilderness, an eerie feeling of isolation started to creep upon me. Suddenly, the tranquil surroundings turned into a nightmare as my eyes fell upon an unimaginable sight three mysterious creatures stood before me. The largest one, around seven to eight feet tall, was covered in a light beige, colored fur. Its massive frame obscured my view of the front of its hands, the bottoms of its feet, and even its eyes. It seemed preoccupied, reaching for something about fifteen feet off the ground. To my terror, just ten feet away stood a smaller version of the creature, approximately three feet high. It resembled the larger one, covered in hair except for the front of its hands, the soles of its feet, and around its eyes. The little one was a darker beige color, with hair that reached up to four inches in length. My heart pounded in my chest as I tried to comprehend the enigmatic scene unfolding before my eyes. Fear overwhelmed me, but curiosity kept me rooted to the spot. I watched as the smaller creature bent over and picked up a stick, attempting to put it in its mouth. 
As I held my breath, the creature's sharp senses seemed to detect my presence. In an instant, they turned their attention towards me, and my heart sank as low growls escaped their throats. Panic surged through me, and I knew I had to escape before they got any closer. Without a moment's hesitation, I turned and ran as fast as my legs could carry me. The forest blurred around me, and I didn't dare look back. My mind raced, trying to make sense of what I had just witnessed. Were these creatures real, or had the isolation of the trails played tricks on my mind? I ran for what felt like an eternity, my fear fueling every step. Eventually, I stumbled upon a ranger station, and I rushed inside, gasping for breath and trying to compose myself. I recounted the nightmarish encounter to the ranger, but instead of sympathy or concern, he broke into mocking laughter. Bigfoot, huh? he said, his tone dripping with disbelief. You hikers always come up with the craziest stories. His lack of belief only heightened my sense of unease. I knew what I had seen was real, but with no one willing to believe me, doubts crept into my mind. Was I losing my sanity, or had I truly stumbled upon something beyond the realm of human understanding? I had just finished up a long day of studying at the university library and was finally back home, ready to catch some rest. As I was getting into my bed, I heard something strange outside my house. At first, I thought it was just a group of teenagers partying down the street, but the sounds were too bizarre for that. I peered through my window and saw nothing but darkness, but the sounds continued and they seemed to be getting closer. I grabbed a flashlight and stepped outside to investigate. As I walked down the driveway, I could hear the singing, gibberish, talking, and laughter more clearly. It was coming from the nearby forest, and it sounded like it was moving further away from me as I approached. I'm a wildlife major, so I know the sound of the local animals, and this wasn't any of them. It sounded more like some kind of gathering or party, but I couldn't see anything through the thick trees. I walked deeper into the woods, the sounds getting louder and clearer with every step. It was like they were drawing me in, but the closer I got, the further away they seemed to be. It was like some kind of strange game. After what felt like hours of chasing the sounds, I realized that I had no idea where I was. The trees looked different, and the path I had taken seemed to have disappeared. Suddenly, the sound stopped, and there was an eerie silence. I tried to turn back towards my house, but I couldn't find my way. I was lost in the dark with no sense of direction, and then I saw something moving in the distance. It was a figure, a silhouette against the trees. It was dancing, twirling around in circles, and laughing in that strange, gibberish language. I called out, asking for help, but the figure just kept dancing. It was like it didn't even hear me. It was almost as if it was taunting me, playing some kind of game. I stumbled backwards, trying to get away from the strange figure, but I couldn't. It was like I was trapped in some kind of nightmare. Finally, I fell backwards and hit my head on a rock. I must have blacked out because when I woke up, I was back in my bed. I couldn't remember anything after hitting my head. But when I went through the pictures on my phone, I found several of myself sleeping inside my tent and they were taken on the night of the strange sound. I still have no idea what happened to me that night, but I know one thing for sure. I won't be venturing into the woods again anytime soon.
I remember that night vividly, even though I was asleep in the back seat of the car. My parents had woken me up in the middle of the night, telling me that we were going to drive out to a nearby field to look at the stars. I had protested at first, wanting to stay in bed and sleep, but my parents had insisted, saying that it was a rare opportunity to see the night sky in all its glory. We drove out to the field, and my parents set up some chairs and a blanket while I dozed off in the car. I remember waking up briefly and seeing the vast expanse of the sky above me, filled with more stars than I had ever seen before. I was mesmerized for a few seconds, but quickly fell back asleep, feeling safe and secure in the warmth of the car. It wasn't until the next morning that my parents told me what had happened while I was sleeping. They said that while they were gazing up at the sky, they saw something strange. At first they thought it was a shooting star, but as it got closer, they realized that it was something else entirely. They describe it as a bright, glowing object that hovered silently in the sky for a few seconds, then suddenly shot away at incredible speed. They were both stunned and a little frightened by what they had seen, but they didn't want to wake me up and scare me too. But that wasn't the end of the strange occurrences that night. As they were getting ready to leave the field and head back to the house, the car lights suddenly turned on and the doors unlocked themselves. My parents were taken aback by this and hesitated for a few moments before coming over to check on me. To their relief, I was still sound asleep in the back seat, completely unaware of the strange events that had unfolded around me. My parents quickly got into the car and drove back to the house where they spent the rest of the night discussing what they had seen. It wasn't until years later that I realized just how strange and inexplicable that night had been. Even now, I can't explain what my parents saw or why the car acted so strangely. But I do know one thing for sure. That night, something mysterious and otherworldly happened, and it left a lasting impression on all of us who were there to witness it. I grew up in northern Ontario, and there's a story I remember when me and my cousin were out one night on our grandparents' tobacco farm. He was practicing driving as he had just turned 16 in his parents' pickup truck. Anyways, we were on a dirt road near the woods. It was very bumpy. I was looking out the passenger when, when I felt him slam on the brakes. That's when I saw it. It looked like a deer, but was a bit larger and so skinny that you could see its ribs. It was all white, and you could see through the high beams that its eyes were a glaring red, like when you take a photo of someone with flash. It stood there and just stared at the truck. My cousin tried honking his horn, but it didn't move. It just kept staring at us. Eventually, he tried to reverse out of the steep dirt path without making us fall into the gully. I looked through the rearview mirror as we drove away, and it still had its eyes locked on the truck. As we got further away and up that damn hill, I heard a shriek like I've never heard before. I'm not saying it came from the deer, but it was something I can't even explain. Almost like a bull, if that makes any sense. Needless to say, we got the hell out of there and my cousin almost wrecked his tailgate hitting a pothole in the path. I don't know what it was. I would say an albino deer because it had antlers, but it was just so creepy looking like an albino deer with glaring red eyes. Looked like it hadn't eaten in weeks and had an almost mangy posture and face. Not really scary, but creepy to me. 
I still remember that day vividly, even though it's been years since then. That bluebird has been etched into my memory, and I can still see it clearly in my mind's eye. The four of us stood there in the mind's eye. The four of us stood there in the summer sun, staring up at the sky and wondering what kind of bird it could be. We tried to describe it to our parents, but they didn't seem to believe us. They said it was probably just a blue jay or some other kind of bird we weren't familiar with. But we knew better. This was no ordinary bird. Over the next few days, we kept an eye out for the bluebird, but we never saw it again. We even went to our neighbor's house to ask them if they had seen it, but they hadn't. It was like the bird had never existed in the first place. But I knew what I had seen. I could still picture it in my mind. With its iridescent blue and green feathers and its long, majestic tail feather, it was unlike anything I had ever seen before or since. As the years went by, I started to wonder if I had imagined the whole thing. Maybe it was just a figment of my childhood imagination. But then I remembered that my brothers and the neighbor's son had seen it too. We couldn't all have imagined the same thing. I've since moved away from that small town in Louisiana, but I still think about that blue bird from time to time. I've searched online for any information about it but I've never found anything that matches the description of what I saw. Sometimes I wonder if the bluebird was a sign of something, a symbol of something I was meant to see or understand. But maybe it was just a rare and beautiful creature that happened to fly over my house one summer day. Either way, it's a memory that I'll always carry with me. I was on a camping trip with a few family members in Wisconsin. My cousin and I had our bikes with us and were roaming the woods, as kids do, in the late 90s with no other means of entertainment. It was getting late and near dark, so we decided to head back. What we stumbled upon was a giant, at least to kid me, fire in the middle of a huge clearing in the woods and a ton of people hanging around. We were young and dumb and wanted to take a closer look, I don't remember what we saw exactly, but we did get chased out of there by some people. Never pedaled so fast in my life. I just googled it, and the campground no longer exists. I live in a small farm town called Wayagufka. It's down near central Alabama, United States of America. But my worst experience was in a bigger, more known farm town called Fayetteville, which is about 30 minutes away. I was about 13, and me, my dad, his at-the-time girlfriend, and her kids were out visiting an old graveyard. And I walked over to the end of the graveyard and was looking at a gravestone I thought stood out. I leaned against the fence while looking at the grave, trying to figure out why it stood out. As I was looking at it, I heard a snarl to my right, just over the fence. It was getting dark, so I couldn't see that far into the brush. I took a few steps back as the snarling stopped. For whatever reason, I walked back up to the fence. The snarling started again, as well as some heavy footsteps towards. I took off and went straight to the others, which luckily were getting ready to leave. So I jumped in the truck with him. As was silent the whole way home. I didn't go back to Fayetteville again for a few years. Not if I could help it. 
was camping with an ex-boyfriend a few years back. There was a cornfield right across the highway next to the campground. We decided to go for a late-night walk in the cornfield. As we're getting it on, we hear something metal being dragged across the asphalt. Almost sounded like a tire iron. We clearly don't see anybody or anything that could be making that noise, and we're looking right in the direction the sound is coming from. We packed it in real quick and hurried back to the campground. Still don't have any logical explanation of what it could be. One time, me and my friend decided to go to a popular park nearby in Arkansas. We found a path that we had always seen, but never heard of anyone going down. We decided to follow it to see where it goes. Mind you, this park used to be a popular dumping site for bodies about ten years ago, but it's one of those things people refuse to talk about. Anyways, we get about ten minutes down the path, and off to our right there is a itty-bitty opening where there is no trees growing. If I had to guess, it was only about four feet by eight feet. I hear what sounds like a shovel digging, so I tell my friend to be quiet. The only people that should be this far in would be park rangers. But I look over and see a man. No uniform. He has an ATV, and there is no way for him to get the ATV through the thick woods to where he was at. The path wasn't even big enough for it. We stop and hide for a moment. We were kids in high school, and I was older. So she waited for me to make a decision. All I'm thinking is, I see a man. Through thick brush. Digging in the middle of a old popular dumping site. I tell her to not say a word and turn around. We leave. We never said anything about it for five years because we didn't know what to do. We never saw a body, but the brush was super thick. She had forgot about it until I mentioned it recently. Finally, a chance for me to tell my story. About ten years ago, my family and I were up in the White Mountains of Arizona to cut down our Christmas tree. My dad was driving our truck with my grandfather in the front seat and my mom and sister in the back seat. I was in the bed of the truck along with our family's German short-haired pointer. We were driving along a forest road and all of a sudden my dog starts barking and growling. So I look to see what it is thinking it is maybe a bear or mountain lion. What I saw was a tall, dark figure walking parallel to the road, just about 60 to 70 yards away. I yelled at my dad to stop the truck when I told him I think I see Bigfoot. He just laughed and continued to drive. When I looked back to get another look at it, the figure had changed directions and was walking away from the road. The last thing I saw was the things he disappearing down a hill. To this day, I still do not have an explanation for what I saw, and every time the situation comes up, my dad always makes me tell everyone my story just so he could laugh. Me and my brother had the same vivid nightmare at the exact same time in the same bed. Scariest dream either of us have ever had, about 15 seconds long. Mother comes upstairs with tray of cinnamon rolls in morning, asks us if we want some. We both are like we're sick of canned cinnamon rolls. She gets pissed, reaches behind her ear, and peels her face off. 
revealing a slimy green alien-like monster with the really pointy long teeth. We know she's going to kill us. This nightmare is set in the exact surroundings we were in. Waterbed in a loft area. We freak out. My older brother starts running, jumps from the loft to the living room. She, it runs after him, which gives me time to run downstairs. Shit doesn't jump down from loft. I get to living room, running for front door. I see my brother make it outside. Two seconds later, I make it through the threshold. Then I immediately wake up, turn to my brother. We're both sweating and heart racing. We proceed to take turns describing the nightmare we just had. We could not stop talking about it for months. Our mother eventually guilt-tripped us into not mentioning it again. By far the craziest thing that's ever happened to me and my brother. I think it was some kind of warning sent to us to not trust our mother. If so, it was a good warning to give. Our mother, something broke in her long ago during her divorce or something. She is beyond strange. I still have no idea what turned her into what she is. Always been really poisonous. I was in fourth and my brother was in seventh when this happened. Nothing at all similar happened again. No nightmare has ever matched the perfect realism. It's like it happened yesterday. I'm 48 now. This event altered the way I think about many things. When I was 14 or so, I spent a weekend with a friend at his cabin at Hart Lake, Canada, a place which I later learned is tied to the First Nations people that lived there. On the second night, we decided to stay in a small fishing shack a few hundred feet away from the actual lake house, which was little more than a shed with two bunk beds on opposite sides. I slept on the top bunk on one side, he on the bottom bunk on the other. I remember very vividly waking up because of the warmth. It was late autumn and we'd had to bundled up to keep from freezing. But now, at about 3 a.m., the cabin was very comfortable and the light was casting shadows on the wall beside me. In my tired, half-awake state, I could see the shadows were reflections of animals outside. There were a few squirrels, a couple birds pecking at the ground, and mostly rabbits. About two or three bunny shadows were always reflected on the wall, just a foot from my gaze. Shadows casually nibbling at the ground and seeming extremely unconcerned in general. It was serene. To this day, I remember how peaceful it was. How unrushed I felt to rouse myself fully awake. I don't remember if I actually heard birds chirping, or if I only imagined it because they were so lifelike. As I began to wake up further and further, however, it dawned on me the cabin didn't have a light inside of it, nor was there a window. I pulled myself up slowly, confused, but too peaceful to be truly startled, and realized I couldn't determine the source of the light. I woke up my friend who was immediately scared by the fact that we could see each other clearly despite no visible source of illumination, and I called him to take a look at the still moving shadows on the wall next to me. He did screamed and fled from the cabin immediately and started running back towards the lake house. I stayed behind to watch the figures a little while longer, partially because I was surprised that they hadn't also panicked and fled at his noise, and partially because I felt like when I left, the zen-like feeling of tranquility would go as well. 
Eventually, I did follow him back up to the lake house, where his religious father gave us a furious lecture about making up stories. I spoke to that same friend in passing a decade later, and he told me he still remembered the night vividly. He cited the experience as the main reason he turned to Wiccanism later in life. We wrote down every detail we could remember and sent them to each other simultaneously over a chat program, and they matched up perfectly, except for the fact that he also stated that he distinctly remembers feeling protected. I sometimes wish there was more to the story, but every single word of the above is 100% true. My aunt in Mexico is a bruja, which she is someone that is wealthy but acts dirt poor and no one messes with her. One year I decided to go down to my grandmother's hometown and learn more about where I'm from. My aunt was one of the many people that came to greet me. I gave everyone kisses and hugs and introduced myself. When I got to my aunt, she grabbed my hand and instantly I felt drained. I thought nothing of it since I just got off a three-hour flight. I returned to my uncle's house to rest before going to meet more of my family members. As I was laying down, my head started to throb harder and harder. One of the worst headaches I've ever had. I took some Tylenol, but that didn't seem to help. I still went to visit family even though my head felt like a hammer was hitting it. I never believed in brudgeria. I just knew about it. Over the course of my stay, I kept getting sicker and sicker. Some days I couldn't walk. Others I'd throw up. I just thought it was because I was in a different country and my body isn't used to it. One of my other uncles came to see me and I told him about it. He told me to come over to his house that afternoon and that he can make my sickness go away. I didn't really believe him because my uncle was a medicine man and I thought what he was talking about was fate. Boy, was I wrong. I went to his house, and he made me choose an egg. He then performed this ritual on me where you rub the egg around your body to cleanse it. When he cracked open the egg, it was completely black. He said that someone put a hex out on me. He knew instantly who it was. Note, my uncle and my aunt, that's a witch, do not get along. After that, he walked me back to where I was staying because he didn't want her touching or talking to me. Once I was inside, I heard them screaming at each other. That night, Gadalajara had one of the worst floods, thunder-lightning storms. I prayed and prayed all night that God would protect me from my aunt. I had sleep paralysis, but it wasn't a negative, scared feeling, more like a caring and holding feeling. The next morning, I woke with no headache, sickness, and ready to take on the day. It was a scary experience and honestly don't wish it on my worst enemy. I had just begun my shift at the police station when a young woman walked in, looking scared and frantic. She said someone had been stalking her in her new apartment, and she needed our help. At first we thought it was a simple case, but as she told her story, it became clear that there was something more sinister going on. The woman, who we'll call Emily, had moved into her apartment just two weeks prior. She had found the place online, and despite the unusually low rent for the area, the pictures looked great. The broker seemed legitimate, so she decided to visit the building. 
It was after this phone call, the broker, that she started receiving late-night blank calls, which only escalated her fear. When she visited the building, everything seemed fine, but there was a group of people outside the apartment that made her uneasy. Despite this, she decided to move, and a month later, the moving crew commented on the apartment's cold and uneasy atmosphere. But Emily brushed it off as moving day nerves. But strange things started happening almost immediately. She saw shadows moving around her apartment and felt an unnatural darkness lingering in the hallway. She received a mysterious package addressed to her, and when she looked up at her balcony from outside, she felt like someone was watching her. When she went inside her apartment, the door was ajar, but nobody was inside. One night she ordered food delivery, and a man she didn't recognize came to her door. He wouldn't respond when she asked if he was the delivery person and continued to pound on her door. If Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Eventually, he left, and the actual delivery person arrived. She paid him in cash, even though he claimed that she had already paid online. The strange occurrences continued. Her plants on the balcony were smashed. The lights flickered, and someone constantly knocked on her door. After two weeks, Emily came to us for help. We checked the Seek TV footage around her apartment building, and while we saw her looking out of her door multiple times, we didn't see any suspicious individuals. The delivery person's account didn't match Emily's story either. We decided to visit her apartment ourselves. As we entered the apartment, we couldn't deny the cold and eerie feeling inside. Emily mentioned that there was an inexplicable draft, but we couldn't find the source. The neighbors told us about a disturbing history of the apartment, with multiple women moving in, only to disappear shortly after. The previous tenant, a woman in her 40s, had disappeared months ago. When we showed the delivery person her photo, he identified her as the woman who had taken the food that night. But she couldn't have been there. An elderly neighbor shared a theory about the apartment sending its residents to a different dimension, but we couldn't take her seriously. All we knew was that something strange was happening in that apartment. We advised Emily to call us if anything else happened, but, but we didn't hear from her for another two weeks. When we went to check on her, the apartment was locked and Emily was gone. The unnerving mystery of the apartment continued, leaving us with no answers only more questions and an, an unsettling feeling that would haunt us for the rest of our careers. Despite the lack of concrete evidence, we couldn't shake the feeling that something was terribly wrong with that apartment. We decided to dig deeper into its history, searching for any clues that could explain the strange events and the disappearances of its tenants. We interviewed former residents and neighbors, many of whom shared similar eerie stories. We discovered that the building's landlord had changed hands numerous times, and each one seemed eager to sell the property quickly. The more we investigated, the more it seemed that everyone involved with the apartment wanted to distance themselves from it, 
as we delved into the building's history. We learned that it was once a hospital, and the room that was now Emily's apartment had been the morgue. This revelation sent a chill down our spines. Could this explain the cold and uneasy presence felt in the apartment? Our investigation led us to a local historian who specialized in paranormal events. He suggested that the apartment might be a liminal space, a place where the boundaries between dimensions are thin, allowing for strange occurrences and possibly the disappearances of its residents. As improbable as it seemed, the evidence was mounting. We approached our superiors with our findings, but they were skeptical. They believed that the tenants had simply left without notice, and the strange stories were just coincidences fueled by an overactive imagination. But we couldn't let it go. The disappearances of Emily and the other women weighed heavily on our minds. We decided to set up a stakeout in the apartment, hoping to catch a glimpse of the elusive stalker, or, at the very least, find a logical explanation for the strange events. We moved into the apartment, setting up cameras and recording devices throughout the space. The first few nights were uneventful, but on the fourth night, something changed. The air in the apartment grew colder, and the darkness seemed to come alive, wrapping itself around us like a suffocating blanket. The walls began to vibrate, and we heard an unearthly scream that shook us to our core. In that moment, we knew we were dealing with something beyond our understanding. We abandoned the stakeout, fleeing the apartment in terror. We reported our experience to our superiors, but they dismissed it as a stress-induced hallucination. Frustrated and scared, we decided to take matters into our own hands. We contacted a renowned paranormal investigator and asked for their help. With their assistance, we performed a cleansing ritual in the apartment, hoping to rid it of the malevolent energy that haunted it. To our surprise, the ritual seemed to work. The apartment's atmosphere changed and the mysterious occurrences ceased. However, we never found Emily or the other missing women. Their disappearances remained an unsolved mystery that would haunt us for years to come. In the end, we couldn't prove that the apartment was a gateway to another dimension or that it was haunted by the spirits of the dead. But we knew that something inexplicable and terrifying had happened there. And we would never forget the chilling experiences we had within those cold, dark walls. Once I was picking up hay from a farm in the middle of nowhere... It was 11 p.m., and I called the day before and asked if I could sleep on their property for my break, and they said yes. At one point, I got to dirt roads and no street signs. The GPS seemed like it was a quarter mile off. It showed my vehicle off the road I was on, and I was crossing intersections a minute or two after the GPS said I was there. When it told me to turn, there was nowhere to turn, so I drove another fifth of a mile and assumed that was where I was supposed to turn. I got a quarter mile down the road and came to a sign that said this was not a B.C. road and not to continue with directions on how to get there. I didn't want to back out, but going forward was a real woodsy area, so I walked down the road some to see if I could turn around. I got to a clearing and could see about 500 feet further. There were fifty or so people with robes and hoods on and a cross burning. I went straight back to my truck and began to back out. 
Within a few minutes, someone came out in a pickup and asked what's up. I said I was lost because of GPS and I saw the sign and decided to back out. They said they'd park and use their headlights so I could see the road when I was backing up and I never turned back. Most paranormal. I was driving at 2 a.m. and saw someone in the road and changed lanes, slowed down, pulled over, and got out to see what was going on. I never found anyone, but I did a quick walk around of my truck and one of my steer tires was close to failing. I was 90k pounds with flammable liquids and about to go down a curvy mountain, so I probably would have died if it blew at any decent speed. I went down the mountain at 10 miles per hour and got it repaired at the next truck stop. Just to clarify, there was no sign of a tire problem, and there was definitely someone in the roadway. I was only doing 20 miles per hour up a grade when I saw this person so having and stopping didn't do any damage. It was a decade ago, but the memory remains vivid in my mind. I was driving alone late at night, around 2 a.m. on a desolate two-lane highway in Way, upstate New York. The moonlight cast eerie shadows on the road as I cruised along, enjoying the solitude and silence that enveloped me. As I approached a long, flat left-hand bend in the road, there was a sudden bright flash, like a camera flash, in my driver. Stad window, startled, I instinctively slowed down, my heart pounding in my chest. I scanned my surroundings, searching for the source of the light, but I was utterly alone on the road. No cars in front of me, none behind me, and none on the other side of the highway. The area was wide open, devoid of any trees or bushes that could have obscured my sight lines. I should have been able to spot headlights or taillights from any nearby vehicles, but there was nothing. Just the empty road and the haunting silence of the night. Puzzled and unnerved, I continued driving, my mind racing with questions. What could have caused that flash? Was it a trick of the light? A reflection from some distant source? Or perhaps something more mysterious? As the years passed, I often found myself revisiting that night, trying to make sense of what I had experienced. I consulted friends and even researched possible explanations online, but nothing seemed to fit. Sometimes when I find myself driving alone at night, I can't help but glance nervously at my driver, side window, half, expecting to see another flash. The mystery remains unsolved, a lingering reminder that there are still things in this world that defy explanation. That night has stayed with me. A haunting memory that never fails to send a chill down my spine. Though I may never uncover the truth behind the mysterious flash, it has left me with a profound sense of awe and wonder, a reminder of the enigmatic mysteries that lie just beyond our understanding. My second close call with a Sasquatch was up in southeast Alaska. I had spent the summer working as a deckhand on a salmon tender, earned a full share position for rock crab, but wanted to take a break before the salmon season ended and cod and crab began. The captain told me to stay out of the bars and go camp outside town. The plan was I'd have a couple weeks to do as I pleased, then meet them dockside on Kodiak. 
Since I was such a smart guy, I decided to ask the cannery manager if I could crash in his office instead. He said yes, so I quickly stowed my gear and then headed to the bar in town. Ended up getting drunk as hell and into an altercation with some other fisherman. I left to head back to the cannery and someone hit me in the back of the head with a blunt object. Beer bottle, maybe. Hmm. I woke up at dawn, face down in the grass beside the bar, cold and drenched from a rainstorm that had passed while I was unconscious. I stumbled back to the cannery, washed the blood off my head, and checked into a motel. Took me a few days to start feeling better. The chambermaid brought me lots of soup to help with the mild hypothermia I'd gotten. While recovering, I watched a documentary about Sasquatch sightings. For some damn reason, that movie gave me the itch to go see one up close. I ended up paying the chambermaid to drive me to drive me to a gravel road that led towards a forest where Sasquatch had been spotted that time of the year. She drove me about eight miles outside of town, and I walked another seven before I bumped into a Sasquatch foraging for food next to the trail. I whipped out my digital camera and began filming it, but most of its body was obscured by ferns. The creature was about 80 yards away, and I wanted close-up footage, so I kept inching forward until it finally spotted me. It stood up on its hind legs and cocked its head. I chuckled a little at that. Then it dropped down to all fours and took a couple of steps towards me. That's when I thought, oh, crap. I started backing up, and after a few steps, the Sasquatch ran uphill, presumably away from me. I felt relief wash over me and started talking to the camera about how that was awesome, and I can't wait to see more. I waited five, ten minutes before continuing because I wanted to give it time to clear out. I made it less than fifty feet before the Sasquatch came charging out of the bushes on a small cliff about fifteen feet above me and to the left, growling and thrashing the bushes. I was caught totally off, guard by it, and couldn't even think. My body didn't wait for a decision, though. With no thinking whatsoever, I ran as fast as I could for as long as I could. I nearly puked when I finally got myself stopped. My throat felt a little sore later that day. So I might have even been screaming while I sprinted away. And that was the end of my little excursion. Once I caught my breath and thought it over, I realized I was a total idiot for being 15 miles outside of town with no gun or bear spray. Can't believe I watched a documentary about Sasquatch sightings and felt inspired by it. I hiked about four miles back towards town when a middle-aged woman drove by and offered me a ride. This is no bullshit. She made me get into a dog cage in the back of her SUV. I didn't complain, though, because she was saving me from having to hike another 12 miles to town. Plus, I understood that I was a stranger in a remote area, and she just wanted to feel safe. Along the way, she asked what I was doing out there unarmed and told me I was a dumbass after I told her the truth. Well, that's it for my scary Sasquatch encounters. Luckily, I lived long enough to mature out of youthful recklessness. I hate to think what mess I would gotten into if that Sasquatch hadn't bluff-charged me and spooked me back to town. If I'd made it deeper into the forest and freaked out like that, I probably would've been in real danger. Nowadays, whenever I recount this story, I am reminded of the sheer stupidity of my younger self. 
But at the same time, I can't help but feel grateful for that close encounter. It served as a wake-up call that made me reassess my actions and taught me the importance of being prepared and respecting the wild. These days, whenever I venture out into the wilderness, I make sure to be fully equipped and to educate myself about the area and its inhabitants. And although I still have a sense of adventure, I now take a more cautious and respectful approach when exploring unknown territories. In the 80s, I was with two friends hiking in the Okefenokee Forest in Florida, basically a huge swamp with alligators, banana spiders, raccoons, and miles of black mud in creeks and trees, the biggest spider webs I've ever seen everywhere with these huge yellow spiders nearly walked into one. We were all tripping on acid when we found a long black wooden platform built in the middle of nowhere. It had weird symbols painted in white all over it. We stood on it looking around when about 50 raccoons silently walked out of the woods towards us, their little hands digging in the mud for food. They were not afraid of us. It was like that scene in Young Guns when they take mescaline and the Indians let them pass because they were in the spirit world. The raccoons surrounded up and passed by and under the platform. When they were gone, we were like, did you see that? I walked to the end of the platform and looked down. The symbols came together in perspective like an optical illusion to form the head of Baphomet. We decided to leave and go to the beach instead of waiting around to get sacrificed to the goat god. The first encounter happened back when I was in 8th or ninth grade, can't remember exactly. I was friends with a bunch of guys and girls who were uh, a year ahead of me, all of which I had met through my best friend Tom. Well, our little circle of friends went out for a night of bowling. The group consisted of myself, Tom, Jeremy, Beth, and Beth's friend Ashley. Beth had just broken up with her boyfriend, Corey. Corey was a real piece of work. Extremely arrogant, pushy, possessive, and controlling. This was only my second time meeting Beth and Ashley, and I was unaware of the breakup, or even of Corey's existence. We had our fun bowling and wandered out to the picnic tables surrounding the bowling alley and adjacent go-kart track, by which time it's getting rather late. All of a sudden, Beth and Ashley start getting texts and phone calls from their friends, and Beth becomes visibly shaken. The two of them promptly, and with little explanation, run off to another section of the property. Tom, Jeremy, and I are confused as hell. We get clued in by texts that Corey has gone full-on hardcore stalker mode and basically interrogated a bunch of his and Beth's mutual friends in order to figure out where she was, and he was on his way here now. No sooner than we had figured that out when we see him and his posse or entourage stroll into the picnic area. They spot the three of us chilling at our table, and Corey apparently tells his guys to stay where they are before walking very pointedly towards us. Completely unannounced, he leans over onto our table, putting his face level with, and uncomfortably close to, ours. So where's Beth? Now, I had never met the guy, but he was already giving me really bad vibes. Both Jeremy and Tom already despised him from previous encounters with the guy. As such, we had all made the unspoken agreement to cover for Beth. We don't know. 
Jeremy and Tom replied, just shrugging and trying to brush the question off with their best poker faces. Corey just stares us each down in turn, unblinking, clearly trying to intimidate us. We stare right back. Oh, yeah, he asks. Well, I know she's here. And that's when he said the words, I'll never forget the same statement that made every stalker alert. And warning bell go off in my head simultaneously. She hasn't been answering my calls. But it's okay because now I've got a new truck. So that means when she doesn't answer my calls, I can come find her. His voice was intense. He was completely 100% serious and stared me dead in the eye as he said it. As soon as he made that little proclamation, the atmosphere at the table went from tense to about one step short of a full kale brawl. My legs were under the table, so I slowly edged them out to the side and clenched my fists, ready to go to blows with this creeper if I had to. There was a little more small talk with threatening undertones from both sides that I don't remember much of before Corey finally relented. He went back to regroup with his posse. He stuck around, though, and it started to seem like he might be working up the courage to start something. However, we made it clear that we wouldn't be backing down, and Jeremy started spreading the word, very obviously, that I was armed. I wasn't, based on a joking comment I'd made earlier in the night. It seemed to do the trick. Luckily, Beth emerged from hiding and finally talked Corey down. He promptly went from threatening to sort of creepy friendly tried to show off his new truck to us and make small talk. Beth and Ashley peeled out of there pretty quick, like, uh, understandably, afterward. The night proceeded without incident. Fast forward about four years. Corey and Beth had more drama as time went by, with him sending threatening and harassing texts, spreading lies to damage her reputation, etc. At one point, they actually got back together, Tom and I made our disapproval abundantly clear to Beth, but that didn't last long before the two broke up again. One day, Tom and I are at Jeremy's house, where he and his girlfriend, Tara, are in contact with Beth, who's working her shift at a large local sporting goods store. Tara, after some texts and a phone call, puts her phone down and has this really concerned look. We ask her what's up, and she tells us all that Corey is at Beth's workplace. At first, he just kind of wandered around the aisle, staring at her, but then he actually took one of the hunting knives on stock out of its case and began brandishing toying with it as he stared at her, roaming around the store as he did so. Tom heard this and immediately began to march downstairs to his truck with me following right behind him. He was absolutely pissed. Keep in mind that Tom's a pretty big guy, very athletic with a potentially nasty temper. He had done some MMA training in the past. To top it all off, he's an active-duty infantryman, an army ranger. He was on leave from training when this was cluster was going down. Now consider the fact that he had an AR-15 with ammunition in his truck. Not a good situation for anyone involved, least of all the stalker. Of course, I was really pumped up too, but... At the same time, I didn't want to see my friend go off half, cocked, and end up in jail or worse. Jeremy and Tara talked us both down, and I was about to call the police when Beth contacted us, saying she was all clear. She had talked to her manager about the situation, and Corey had ended up finally leaving. While the manager walked Beth to her car in the parking lot, the stalker's truck was out there waiting for her. 
I talked with Beth extensively after the incident, advising her that I had connections with the police department and all of the local judges, which is true. She already had plenty of grounds on which to file for a protective order, if not stalking harassment charges. Alas, he decided to let the matter drop, and luckily the guy hasn't shown his face again. Still, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries something else in the future. Four years ago, we bought an old house, and from the get-go, it freaked me out. It's a one-time owner, but over 70 years old. A little old lady ran a daycare out of it until she got to old. We bought and fixed it up as our first house. One, while remodeling the radio with Jane's station by itself. I would have it on some rock and thought the first couple times it was my dad just changing the station. Then one day, while working in the kitchen, where the radio was, it changed twice, both from my station of rock to some straight-up gangster stuff. Two, one night I was doing some work late and called my dad for a question about some electrical stuff. While my cell phone was trying to ring, it turned white noise, and I heard the words in an old lady's voice. Get out. I hung up and told my house off. I mean, I really laid into it. Once I calmed down and realized I was alone, I left. Three, cabinets in my house will be open when I walk through to this day. Four, a series of pictures we took before the remodel had snow in only one room. Every picture in that room, not the rest of the house. Five, woke up one night to go pee, walked out in the hall to the bathroom and threw my hands up in the air and yelled, Ho! As a teacher, this is a natural reaction right before I bump a child in the hall. It's cool, but there was nobody in the hall. Just a shadow I saw for a second that seemed to be a young kid in the hall at my house. Woke up one night with my eyes closed and had that feeling like I was being watched. I peeked and saw a little lady figure standing in the room. Closed my eyes real quick, then found the courage to look again and saw that it had moved to my wife's side of the bed. Got up and turned the light on and it had vanished. Seven. Went to the bathroom, closed the door. Was doing some calculus and the door opened. I leaned to close it and it opened again. I then left it open if a ghost wants to see and smell that I will let it. Eight, a light in the closet in what used to be the little old lady's room will be right only on. Nine, just now, as I was looking at another thread, the baby's rocker arm moved to the floor, slowly. The rocker has an arm that folds over and locks into place. The arm was at a 90 degree after we got him out of it about four hours ago. Now it's all the way down. Like I said, I don't believe in all this stuff. It's all just weird, never threatening or mean. What do you guys think? One late night, I was, was all alone at the house. I was in my room on the green screen. Laptop on bed, and I was in a chair where I can see the door into the hallway. All of a sudden, I see a blur go by the door. I figure it was late and my eyes playing tricks on me. And then I heard what sounded like someone running down the hall and then a door slam. Now every door in the house stays open unless you're using the restroom or sleeping. So I know all the doors are open. I grab my pistol and take a look-see in the hall. Nobody in the hall and my parents' door was shut. 
but they were out of town. The alarm is set, so I know no doors or windows were open. I call my buddy over, and we clear that bedroom. Couldn't find nobody or any sign of anyone being in there. Not sure what that was, but know what I heard, and I know that the door was originally open. As a kid, I used to wake up to see people standing around my bed. Not a crowd, but one or two or three. They'd be just standing there looking at me and sometimes around my brother's bed as well. I'd close my eyes and hightail it out of there to my parents' room and sleep on the floor for the rest of the night. It started on a family vacation to Maryland where we were staying in a large old home. I woke up to an old white lady with a black man standing in the doorway of this large room. The adults put the kids in to sleep. She pointed at me and he walked over to my bed, picked me up and laid me back down facing the other direction. I spun back around in the bed and they were gone. The second time was staying the night at my aunt's house. Another person watching in the doorway. From there it progressed to be a more common occurrence. As I was getting older, this was plain getting old. I remember one night trying to touch one of their hands, but there was nothing tangible there. I know most are going to say it was the imagination of a child, but back then I swear it was real. So much that I am getting goosebumps writing this. No lie. It all stopped when I prayed to Jesus to make me not see the people anymore. One prayer and it ended. Since they were never threatening figures, I always considered them to be angels of sorts. Hence why they went invisible when I asked for them to go away. No, they weren't white with wings, just people standing there. When I was seven years old, my mom, my younger brother, and I were sitting in our living room watching TV. It was a typical evening and we were all enjoying a relaxing night in our living room, had an open layout, and the kitchen was visible from where we were sitting. The kitchen table was right next to the living room, and one of the chairs was backed up to the carpet line. As we were watching TV, my mom's jacket, which was hanging on the back of the chair in the kitchen, suddenly started swaying back and forth. It was a strange sight because there was no air conditioner on, and all the doors and windows were closed. We all looked at each other in shock, wondering if we had just seen the same thing. At first, we thought it was just a strange draft, but as the jacket continued to sway, we started to feel uneasy. My brother and I clung to our mom, scared of what might happen next. It felt like an eternity before the jacket finally stopped moving, and we all let out a sigh of relief. Even though we tried to come up with a logical explanation for what we had seen, we couldn't shake off the feeling that something strange had happened. That experience stayed with us for a long time, and we always made sure to keep an eye on that chair in the kitchen. Looking back on it now, I still can't explain what caused the jacket to move like that, but it's a memory that will stay with me forever. <laughs> 